Welcome to the Body College Podcast. This is an occasional series on embodiment and feeling. How can we use touch, presence and movement to help us feel more alive? Join me, Steve Haynes, to explore the feeling business. Hi, well, welcome to the first of the Body College Podcasts. I'm not sure how often I'm going to do this, but I'm starting off with someone I really respect and whose kind of thinking and work has been quite influential for me over the last few years. So, Dr. Carolyn Lingard, I Hello. Oh, hi, Steve. Thanks. That was a very kind introduction. I'd say the same oh, about well, you, actually. We, we kind of hooked up through the cranial world. I know that you're based in Australia and yep. I'm in, in Europe and you trade with body intelligence. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. But you're a philosopher and I was really struck by some of your thinking and some of the edges around cranial work and embodiment. And yeah, I, we had some really nice conversation around that over the last couple of years. I know that you've just written a book, so here's your bio. Aaron is the author of Taking Heart and Making Sense, A New View of Nature, Feeling and the Body. And that was published in April 2022. A unique perspective on consciousness, feeling and the body draws upon more than 20 years of research, including a PhD in philosophy from Swinburne University in Melbourne, Australia. Aaron is a registered biodynamic cranial psychotherapist his work is highly influenced by personal practices, including meditation and dance. She lives in Castlemaine, Australia. That's a little bit about you. Yeah, thanks for that. I wonder if I should say too that actually the reason I wrote the book at the time that I did was partly because of conversations I had with you and realising that it was some of the things that you were telling me about that you were reading made me realise it was a good time to write this kind of book because a lot of the... A lot of the theoretical research I did for it was actually quite some time ago and I have updated it since then but yeah it really helped me in that way. Let's dive in then. So what are the themes of taking heart making sense? So as a as a whole book it's a theory about feeling and how feeling is the foundational level of consciousness and arises at the level of the whole body. So it's really arguing against that view that's quite prevalent, that consciousness is a phenomenon of the brain, really trying to get beyond that and think about how does consciousness emerge first as feeling at the level of the whole body. And then to create a theory around that, I have to cover some aspects of natural theories about the natural world. So that includes ideas about evolution, so how consciousness has evolved through animal behavior and animal feeling. And also I detail some descriptions of how natural systems function and the principles behind the functioning of complex systems that really helps to understand how consciousness arises. And then I say all of that, that whole sort of theory is set within a broader argument that actually to really make sense of things, we need a completely different worldview, a completely different underlying worldview than what we're used to. So yeah, it's quite big, big themes, yeah. and it is interdisciplinary. So it covers a whole lot of, a whole lot of different theories, and tries to construct a unique perspective by doing that. Yeah, there's some big old questions in there, aren't there? All those things are really, really hard, I find, and on some level hard to make relevant to my clinic work. I think one of the big problems is that minds are separate from bodies, as you described at the start, and really that's just a huge limitation when I'm working with people 
is the body's a thing and it's a machine and it's broken and I'm damaged and somehow mm. my mind is separate from is that is that sort of the territory that you're talking about oh well that's yeah I suppose that's the kinds of ideas that I'm arguing against. The mind isn't a phenomenon of the brain specifically. You can only really make sense of it when you think about not only a whole functioning body, but a body developing or a system developing over a whole lifetime. So I just don't think you can separate out those things. Great. So how, how might you explain embodiment to a how do you make it relevant to clinic work? All those rich, uh, complex ideas, because that's something I really struggle with. Well, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know what, I don't really, I don't really offer sort of formalised explanations in clinical work about embodiment. It's more I'll wait until a particular kind of experience arises that might be new or different for that client, and then I can explain something to them. So say I was thinking about in BCST, a really quite common experience is when the nervous system sort of balance out and then the body sort of drops into a more overall holistic state of functioning. And that, that can be something that's a pretty new experience for people. And even though that's that can be quite a subtle experience, like maybe that's a feeling of vitality through the body or some kind of sensation through the body. But it's also quite clear so then you can explain oh okay so what's happened here is it's as though you've come more into your body and now your body's functioning more as a whole system and you can feel it in a different way than you normally do so it's probably more in that kind of way when things arise naturally in sessions that I'll try and explain it yeah is that the same for you yeah I think you're right I kind of Talking from a theoretical viewpoint is often quite hard with clients. I'm a teacher and I try education and trying to find sticky metaphors. But I think it works much better when there's an experience at the heart of it, really. And maybe something changed in how people feel. And that's happened in relationship using touch. We're both touch therapists. And then how do we explain that? And we can use sort of, well, there's, there's a whole many ranges of explanations that are used. But something about a whole body and that feeling state as being really important and something that we can get more skillful at is, is how I do that. So yeah, I like the idea that I'm led by experience and then that's a really nice time to drop. A new way of reframing that experience for people. Yeah, and no, I often find that people do have really quite specific experiences that I can then explain one little aspect of something theoretical that will help them to understand it. And I think I mean, I don't know if you do this, but I do. I do sometimes encourage people to try out a whole body awareness to see what happens, because you can. I think you can do that quite actively if you're in that safe space with the therapist. You can see what happens when you try and use your awareness in that way, and that can sometimes lead them into that sense of the whole body and that sort of deeper, slower way of relating within your whole body and within your experience, really. Yeah. Do you do that sometimes? Oh, yeah, very much. Um, yeah, yeah. I think often on the table there's a sense of connection to my body and and for my clients, just an enhanced state of feeling and there's more connection to processes on the inside, there's less fear around what those processes are and maybe less attached or the possibility of not doing what we've always done of relating to it differently. 
But yeah, I think we yeah, can only definitely. good philosophy, and that's the hard point for me. If we think minds are separate from bodies and emotion are fixed, hardwired things, then it's much harder to say that tuning into your belly is a real and meaningful thing, and it's going to change how you think and feel. And that's that's the, that's the process for me. These this notion that minds emerge from bodies, and I think that's something you know a lot about. So. Tell me a little bit more how you frame that or how the book frames that. About how minds emerge from bodies? Yeah, if that's not what if my understanding is correct around where you go with Okay, that. so okay. So you have to you have to go all the way back to thinking of like what what is it that makes a living system? I think that's the question starts right back there. So there's a certain kind of closure that's how I describe it that characterizes a living system which means that there's a whole lot of change that occurs that's continuously referring inwards to that system so it's engaged with an environment but most of the change that's occurring is referring back inside that system and that's what enables it to develop within itself and to develop over time so with that particular case of closure which I think you can take that down even to the level of an individual cell that a living cell is a kind of a living semi-autonomous system then you then you can say okay well what's what's the interiority of that contained change over evolution that emerges as a holistic inner sensing of what's going on in that system that's how I describe it. and then that becomes as you get closer evolutionary speaking to human beings that becomes probably I'm guessing more like our human experience in a feeling sense like not necessarily in an emotional sense but in a feeling sense of feeling some sort of holistic inner sensing of the whole body that allows that living organism whatever it is to have a sense of both its interiority and its relationship to what's going on outside so a cell has sort of agency or needs somehow based on what it's sensing or its assessment of its inner state. So that's even really, really primitive. And as we get more complex, that interiority becomes a real driver for, for action and interactions. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, I guess at the lower level of a, of a cell, that's a very generalized kind of a living being. So you're not going to expect it. You're not going to expect a whole lot of inner experience in there necessarily, but it might be something like, say, in a bacteria. You can imagine there might be some kind of holistic inner understanding of what's going on and not a, just a, like a tone or something, some kind of fluctuating tone, something like that even it might be. Yeah, and that is you, as your organisms become more complex through evolution, there's many more complex ways of both interacting with an environment but also regulating the inner state of that living system and then that requires or naturally results in more differentiated forms of feeling and the way I think about it at the sort of how it emerges at the most fundamental level is a sense of fit so a sense of okay there's a it's a relational sense of how is this interiority currently going in relation to whatever it is that's going on outside and whatever it is that's going on outside depends on what that particular organism is able to perceive the kind of engagements it's 
able to make with the world outside it. So it's sort of a, like a relational sense of either or both what's happening and what needs to happen. That's the way I think about it. Does really lovely. Sense? I love that phrase, mm. a fluctuating tone as even at the kind of really, really simple structures, this fluctuating tone needs to be assessed or, or managed somehow. And as we get more complex, I love that word interiority and our engagement with the outside. All of these things are fundamentally important to that organism and are the roots of what's important and how it how it makes decisions. Is is that right? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that kind of sums it up. Yeah, it's imp- I think it's really important when you think about that interiority to think about as with increasing levels of complexity that that particularly animals actually engage in really complex interactions with the world around them and that they're actually pursuing purposes that are on some level meaningful to them not in the sense of our human meaning and human emotion but in some some sort of pressing forward of of life that drives it to stay alive but in a sense that generates purposive and intentional action all the time yeah tell me a bit more about that though so i know kind of seeking or exploring the environment you know to be able to go on beyond the horizon or explore something new that's quite adaptive isn't it animals that can do that can find more nutrients or more safety or other other stimulus that's advantageous our ability to do that and feel safe in doing that that's a big driver as i understand it of behavior for life yeah that's how i would understand it as well and you need to think of every kind of living organism and there's you know such a range of different kinds as existing within certain limits so there has to be a high degree of order and then some degree of disorder that allows that living being to develop over time like within its own lifespan and so I I think the only way you can really make sense of that well the only way I can make sense of it is actually at a more fundamental level which is that idea that change is what basically exists in the world that's the most fundamental characteristic of the living world but that change is we can't grasp that all at once you might think of it as activity instead of change that's sort of an easier way of thinking about it but that that's inherently causal and it's inherently creative so there's yeah so that sort of pressing forward within limits and sometimes succeeding sometimes failing is that's that's the natural way that change just unfolds because there's just always activity within certain limits or order within disorder within certain amounts of order that allows anything to develop fantastic i remember my last conversation what are the fundamentals? And all philosophy needs a fundamental on Hegel. It starts with a fundamental. So often it's either atoms is one of them, or the sort of material, or some other ones that I've heard of is sort of this idealism or ideas or, or consciousness as a fundamental. What I really got from you, really, I thought quite hard about over the last few weeks was this change as a fundamental, this idea of flux or activity or relationship. We can organize that as around a fundamental. I found that a really exciting idea. Yeah, I, yeah, I do too. I feel like it actually does make sense of some things that a lot of 
science, which is mainly based in a material view of the world. So the idea that the world is basically physical and you can explain everything in relation to the physical, that, that it's, it's those basic assumptions that make some phenomena like consciousness, like life in the sense of living beings, quite difficult to explain. And that maybe if you change those underlying concepts, it just doesn't seem or it becomes easier to understand those kinds of phenomena in a different way. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So for me, like trying to say to my clients, your body's not a thing. So that's rooted in this really core notion of, of the body as a fixed structure, like a machine somehow. But if we start saying your body is a process or it only makes sense in terms of the relationships and context and ways that we engage and we experience consciousness because of the ways that we engage. You know, the idea of a bat, a bat hears and has this massive experience based on hearing and frequencies that make no sense to me. So it's ways of engaging with the world are determined by its antennae, if you like. So the fundamental there is we experience ourselves through the ways that we engage with the world. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, definitely. And that that's a really key concept and it, I find that a really beautiful concept. Like it's called in, there's a really small field of, called biosemiotics that uses that idea or that talks about that idea directly and it uses this word called umwelt to describe the surrounding world that's created by the distinctions that a particular kind of living being is able to make. So it's that idea that every kind of living being is in a different kind of world, but but there's always a there has to be a stable relationship to something outside itself to generate that world. So it's a much more sort of relational view of the world of the world itself. Everything's sort of within its own world, but somehow all those worlds match up enough that all these natural systems and natural phenomena keep going and interact with each other in a really deeply causal way. Yeah, they're quite lovely ideas, I find. Yeah, you gave me a book to read. Was it Hofmeier, maybe something? Hofmeier, yeah, it's called Signs of Meaning in the Universe, that book. Yeah, it's from I have the, to say, the, I the read 90s. The book. Oh, really? Books, right? I'm going to have to really strap on my thinking brain to make sense of that one. So my strategy is I've got that book on my shelf. I looked at it and I, I was, there was some stuff that was making sense. But I'm hoping how you describe it in your book is going to make more sense to me. I've only read some draft versions of your book. So I'm looking forward to yeah. revisiting those eyes and, and maybe understanding that notion of Umwelt, I remember that word. Is, yeah, and I do, like, I, yeah, I write one chapter and I try and situate that chapter about that field, which is really I'm discussing the work of that person, Hofmeier, that you mentioned. Like, I'm not an expert in that field. I, I can't cover all the details of that particular field, but I have a sort of general understanding through this person's work, and he was kind of the figurehead for that for that field. Yeah, so there is a chapter that that's sort of, I've tried to put it in the right place so it, it, it connects different theories and in a way that's not too difficult to to understand good i look forward to one other big thing i got from you so there is all this interiority and there's all this information and ways of engaging with the world but the challenge is how do we make sense of that information and you taught me some interesting things around concepts and where concepts come from so 
Yeah, can, can you talk a little bit about embodiment and concepts? So my understanding of that comes from the field of embodied cognition, which is a field of cognitive science. And to understand that, you really need to just have a bit of a background about the field of cognitive science generally. So that, that was based on the idea of the mind as some sort of something that represents external reality through the creation of symbols like very much like based on the metaphor of a computer and that somehow symbols exist separately in the mind and then we learn to abstractly or logically use those symbols or concepts so then the question is well how do we how do we form those and then embodied cognition has been a response to issues in cognitive science and over the last say 25 to 30 years but particularly over the last 10 years I think that there's been a lot of focus on how how our understanding is generated through our bodily engagement. So I was thinking that to make the word concepts a bit more comprehensible, we can use the term structures of understanding. So everything we do and encounter in the world, we encounter through some kind of structure of understanding. And the idea is that we learn or those structures emerge in our understanding simply through our engagement in actions and interactions and particularly early in development and embodied cognition is just very focused on or bringing in that idea that the way you physically move your body in those actions and interactions just gives rise to like many kinds of understanding that you then that really form the basis of structures that you then use to understand things that seem more abstract or less clear or more in the realm of language and thinking. So and then what I'm trying to do is, is because that field of embodied cognition has been quite focused on the sensory motor engagement of the body. So more, it's more the, about the physical body. And I've tried to, in my understanding in the book, try to bring in the dimension of feeling a lot more strongly that will actually, there's a feeling quality, not only of the physical interacting of the body in space in actions and interactions but there's there's the feeling of what what interactions feel like depending on what your relational needs are in situations and what kind of feeling experiences you're having and developing especially in early life yeah does that make sense yeah keep talking i'm, I'm, I'm learning okay so I'll, 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 i thought through an example and i was like okay i'll try and explain this example so if you think about structures of understanding that you learn through the physical body. There's all kinds of forces, physical forces that you encounter and use by using your body, but experiencing your body in relation to the world. And then they form yeah, structures of understanding. So, so I was thinking a good example. I mean, and if you go and read books about metaphor, there's just tons of examples of these really good, clear examples. And I was thinking of the example of pressure so pressure is sort of some sort of physical, a, w a way that you learn about how things tend to happen in the physical world. Like you might experience pressure in your body. Like as I'm just, and I was trying to think about it as like, what does a young child experience? Okay, so you might experience things like being held too tight and that feels like pressure. That's one, one way. Or you might be learning to use, like learning to use something from a tube and then you squeeze it too tight and it all comes out at once so there's all these like many many different ways of understanding oh okay there's a there's a way 
there's degrees of force that you use and sometimes those are going to be optimal and sometimes they're going to tip over and there might be a sudden change of state in that situation when that pressure is released. So then you might form this sort of very generalised structure of understanding about what's pressure as you're also learning how to use your own body, how to use it in various ways. So then you've, with that structure of understanding, you can later, as you learn language and concepts, you can then understand things that are sort of less clear or more just in our human experience, like, oh, say you feel under pressure because you're sitting an exam or someone feels under pressure at work. So that's a sort of a metaphorical projection of that notion of pressure but we all understand what it means because we have sort of an understanding of like oh yeah that sort of makes sense and I'm and I'm trying to say well actually there's all these interactional ways that you also experience pressure and maybe you experience them as much or even earlier than all this sort of physical interacting with the world so maybe maybe say you're in a family dynamic where there's a parent who's under stress and as a young child, you get a sense of there's a building and then there's going to be an eruption in that person. And then you learn ways to relate to that particular phenomenon happening. Or maybe, maybe say parents have very different ways of dealing with a child crying and maybe you're encouraged not to cry or maybe you're forced not to cry. And then you experience a lot of buildup of pressure in your own body. So you get to know those experiences that are really completely unique to you and your particular dynamics that you're engaged with, with your immediate primary caregivers. And then so I just think those very individualized ways of relating to forces are, are as important as the physical interacting with the world. So then later on in life, your experience of being under pressure or what you mean when you say under pressure might be quite different than what someone else experiences or means when they talk about that. So it's a way of saying, oh, actually, we can form words where we understand what we're all talking about, but the experience of it really could be very unique and individualised in different people. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, uh, lovely. Uh, I think what it brings up for me is we have this world of experience before we have words and before we yeah. have language, before we yeah. really contemplate it. But all these embodied experiences have, what was your phrase, structures of understanding? Structures um, of understanding. Yeah, I find that easier to come at than the word concept. Yeah, so we have all these structures understanding before we get language and these are important essential foundational to how we late language things and how we later um, sort of make sense of the world well and also make sense of the world through your feeling experience so that your feeling is a, a fundamentally an understanding of the world even though sometimes it seems like your feeling in a situation doesn't fit the situation or is is different from what other people might feel in that situation but it's the idea that well that's been built up that's a kind of understanding that's been built up through many many interactions especially in your early life so even if it appears to not make sense it actually do, it does make sense it is a form of understanding and then you can work with it in certain ways if you choose to yeah wow so in the bodywork we're really interested in I'm 
very important for me, this notion of being a trauma-informed body work, understanding that safety is of fundamental importance for organisms, humans. And that how I often, my version of trying to explain what you've just talked about with pressure, I often do around something around safety. So mm -hmm. our journey through the birth canal and our journey of being received, we have a nervous system that can go quick in those stages to try and protect us and we go down. I'm going to offer innate gestures of, of speeding up and working more quickly to, to be safe or we have an innate gesture of disappearing. But all those foundational senses of what's too much, too little, of what's the right amount of help or I had to do it on my own, all of those are embodied gestures at the level yeah. of what you're talking yeah. forces in the world that we had to negotiate and yeah that safety or lack of or or the gestures or embodiment structures of understanding are all laid down and then we build up words and experience and later experiences on top of that but our early experiences are foundational to what's safe and what isn't safe yeah i completely agree with that and it's a that's a fundamental orientation to the world isn't it it's like is people have varying degrees of how safe or unsafe the world feels to them fundamentally all the time depending on experiences they may or may not have had at a young age you know I mean I feel like it's important to acknowledge that thing of what is it that sort of good enough holding or good enough parenting it's not like you, you need there needs to be a fluctuation of of again it's that order and disorder thing like you need enough flexibility and challenge for a system or a person to develop through certain stages but you want it to just be within the right kind of limit so it's so I, I kind of do really think that that these foundational experiences are very strong and lasting through life but I think they're always it's always possible to change them and a certain amount of challenge or disorder is is completely fine you know that well that's how it should be it needs to be that way yeah and I, I think one of the if if change is our fundamental here in relationship relationality and change is our fundamental here one of the things about organisms and humans particularly is that we adapt so the idea that new stimulus chaotic stimulus is things that are unknown at our best we, we we can be creative and resourceful and we learn hugely from the variety it's like you know i saw an example recently of boring is not great for human beings i don't watch boring films mm. i'm going to get a little bit stressed in a film because the plot twist or the person who's the you know is the murderer yeah. and gets is who i didn't want it to be that's exciting and stressful for me but it's also if it's done rightly, it's it's deeply engaging. The chaos means I have to adapt, and I don't know what's happening, and that's inherently exciting, actually. Um, yeah, so people people have really in. different degrees of how they wanna, how much of that they they prefer, really, or is acceptable to them, or tolerable for them. Yeah, massively different degrees of that. Yeah. And then I guess also there's a sort of a. a principle if you think about 
living systems over a lifespan, there's a principle that there's an increasing amount of disorder, um, of order developing. So there's a lot of order developing early in life. And then that tips over at some point to a kind of rigidity. And that's just a natural where the system is, there's a lot more, a lot more orders being created, or there's a lot more information within the system. And then it tips over into something where it's less flexible, less able to engage creatively. And that's, that's sort of a characteristic of natural systems that you can see in the lifespan of human beings as well. You know, as we get older, we tend to like less change or less fluctuation, or we become more rigid in our ideas, that, that kind of thing. But still, if you're aware of that, you can find ways to put yourself in situations to engage that kind of creative change still. Yeah, and on, on a table for me in a touch situation doing clinic work, it's like this feeling isn't emerging and can you not do what you've always done in response to that? Is there a possibility of finding a new language or, or reframing that in a particular way? So there are feeling states, and we do have structures of understanding, but those structures of understandings can be negotiated, and often a safe other can provide some boundaries or, or new possibilities. So as a therapist, I'm the safe other, and part of my role is to say, this feeling's emerging, let's not do the short, simple, rigid way, or the historical way that you frame that. Is there another way of describing that or responding to that? Um, for me, that's a powerful process of supporting change. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, and I think that's where I see the that idea that so there's that thing of incremental change where someone might do something something new in a situation with you, and it might take a few times, or it might take quite a long time for that to become a different new response for them but there's so much creativity in that seeking within limits that yeah it's just not to be underestimated I don't think that where there's a possibility for a creative change it's like the body will just do it if the person is able to hold that space or able to able to do it or able to let go enough to allow that to happen does that make sense that was a bit abstract <laughs> Oh, no, no, makes sense. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, any, tell me more about the book. What, what sort of, uh, are there any other themes that we haven't chatted about yet in Taking Heart and Making Sense? I like the title, by the way. Ah, thanks. Yeah, so one other theme is is making a pretty clear distinction between emotion and feeling. But it's quite, it is quite hard for me to, to sort of go over that because that relies on a lot of the details of the theories through the book. But I do think that's a really important distinction to make. And in the end, I, I come down on the idea that really emotion is, is much better seen as, or much better used as something you observe in behaviour. That's something you observe from the outside and that feeling is something different and we need to be really clear that, that those are two different things or two different phenomena, I guess. And that follows some, there are people in the neuroscience of emotion that do say something very similar to that. So it's, that's not just an idea I've sort of come up with, I, but I sort of provide a sort of quite strong argument for, for actually saying, well, emotion is more useful 
if you see it in behavior, but then actually in the end, it's better to just talk about feeling and talk about behavior and not necessarily even to get too caught up in emotion in a theoretical sense. Like I know in day-to-day life, we need to use you know, ordinary emotion words, but I think often it's really hard to tell if what you're talking about is behavior or experience. Yeah, so that's another that's another theme of the book. Yeah, having read around emotion and, and, and tried to write a little bit about anxiety, the different definitions of emotions and feelings, you'd have different researchers using them in sort of diametrically opposite ways. One word I've come across quite a lot recently that I'm beginning to understand more is affect. Is affect relevant for you? Or um, you... Yeah, it is, as in affect is the way that many scientists and philosophers speak about feeling. So affect is, it's usually described in terms of two parameters. So the two parameters are valence, so that's evaluation essentially, and what's the other one? Arousal, so that's the intensity or not of, of whatever you're feeling. And sometimes there's a third parameter that's, I think it's called potency or dominance. So that's a way that when you want to, or when many theorists want to look directly at feeling, they'll talk about effect. But very early on in the book, I say, well, sure, those parameters might be useful. And there's always that bodily aspect of it. And you can describe it in those parameters. But I think we need to see feeling as a much more holistic meaningful phenomenon than simply effect because you can have it's it's kind of can fit with this idea that experience is in the brain and effect is just sort of sensations coming and going that are byproducts of homeostasis something like that that i'm like oh no i think actually a better way to think about feeling is a more holistic meaningful phenomenon yeah that really is an understanding about the world so sure sometimes from within your experience you're going to be observing a physical sensation and you can describe it in terms of effect but that's not really what I mean by feeling I mean more a sort of a holistic ongoing sense of your situation that that then can become more differentiated into things we might call feelings over time but that's quite unique to a, an individual but that it's actually genuinely meaningful. I just feel like, oh, that's something that's really, just really important to try and capture if you're going to talk about human experience is that, well, actually, our whole orientation to everything is is driven by our sense of what matters and our sense of what's happening and our sense of meaning. And it's not it's not just a sort of side side issue of human life or human experience. It's a central issue. Wow, good. I look forward to reading that. So something about affect is useful, but it's not enough for you. It doesn't describe this whole body, whole no. gesture, whole experience that feeling allows, gives it more significance somehow. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I just think feeling is more than effect. That, I guess I could say it that way. And so I don't, I don't really use the term effect in the book. I just mention it early on and say, ah, oh, sort of trying to describe something different and more holistic than that. And then and an emotion really is, is complex. It has all sorts of histories, but somehow 
we knew it's about behavior and sort of yeah, behavior is what I heard. Is that right? Well, yeah, and that's partly because often you can identify emotion in the behavior of other people when that's not necessarily what they're actually feeling. They may not be able to identify it themselves. So emotion really isn't clearly an experience. You might simply have the experience of adjusting something in relation to a situation. Like say a person gets suddenly really angry and their focus is on the way they're trying to adjust the situation away from something that they don't want to happen or in a certain way and they're not necessarily even aware that that's what they're doing. I mean, that's kind of an extreme example, but I think it's a useful a useful one. And I wonder if because children are more focused on action and observing the interactions of others and then they're taught language during that time that they're not necessarily even able to discriminate that much between their interior states or their their own experience so that the terms that they use for emotion are maybe much more about being told oh you're experiencing this emotion or that person's behaving in that way that signifies that emotion and then you sort of learn those as categories yeah so something again if i'm trying to make sense of this but something about emotions are often things that we're given from our culture and other people so this idea that you're an anxious person and that you get told you're an anxious person you've learned to interpret that speeding heartbeat as like that's anxious and I'm, I'm wrong somehow or I don't know what's going on and in that wrongness I just call this anxiety but that short simple word all of a sudden you've been given it, you become it and we lose the, any nuance and subtlety around it. Yeah, especially with words like that I think. But then the other side of that is you can be anxious and like I would say when I was much younger I was very anxious but I didn't I didn't know I didn't know that was the name of the physical experiences I was having say it's only later I was like all oh, right okay well that uh, you know at, in, at my age or that generation we didn't have that language quite as much as young people do now and I'm like ah oh, that was anxiety so that's yeah it's sort of the opposite as well I do think you can have feelings that that you're familiar with and you recognize and then later have a name for them and that might make them more distinct like you're saying or put you more into a category but I definitely think people can have all sorts of feeling responses without necessarily having a word for it and later realize oh that's what that was but it's a powerful thing to name it isn't it there's like oh yeah definitely yeah elements of naming it and also real limiting things of naming yeah, it. yeah definitely but, for me, there is experience, there is this world of feeling, often to realize that we're given or we're embedded in ways of explaining those feelings. And they're useful because they access culture and larger frameworks, families and all of those things. And, you know, we learn by learning from others and with others. But also at some stage, it's like, is this the best way to describe this for me? and learning that you can have choice and it might be 
you know, Monday morning anxiety when I haven't had a coffee at seven o'clock in the morning is slightly different from being tired anxiety on a Friday. And it's useful to start bringing in nuances and differentiations and really examining your feeling states. Yeah. And really, is this word or construct or concept I'm applying to this, is it useful? Does it help me? Does it harm me? I think that's a useful step to make. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I definitely think that's true. And it also, that's a really good argument for just getting more skilled at observing sensations in the bodies, you know, like, so there's a sort of whole spectrum of physical sensation to feeling states and just learning to observe what's going on in the body physically is just really helpful. Like you say, it's like, oh, is this anxiety that's a bit from tiredness as well oh I know you know you can discriminate between those states or you can see there's both of those things going on like it sounds kind of obvious but I don't think that's necessarily something that people are very skilled at or taught to be skilled at the more you can identify those things the more you can you can be more at ease with them and a bit more open towards them or a bit more curious about them I, I've learned it does on one level it does sound obvious, on another level it doesn't. My bodies are so mysterious and, you know, if I've got anxiety, I talk to my doctor and I go to see a psychiatrist and they do magic mind stuff. They help me understand it or they give me chemicals that are going to reduce things happening in my brain. And the body isn't seen as really part of that. No. So, as you've described it in ordinary language and with philosophy, we can rediscover the obviousness that, you know, bodies and emotions, bodies are important in this process of feeling states. But I find it consistently a very hard argument to make. People think that, well, we become these words. We think that anxiety is innate to me. I was born anxious and I'm always anxious and it's fixed and hard and I can't adapt and I can't change. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a very hard argument to make with many people that by by being skillful at feeling, you can really change this. And that's non-intuitive, actually, quite often in my client work. Yeah, I guess also just doing anything that brings you more into your noticing. I don't want to say into embodiment. I mean more noticing your body. So even if it's physical activity or enjoyable movement or, you know, something that all of those things assist with that learning to skillfully observe what's going on in the body. Yeah, that there's just like the more you do it, the more you can do in all aspects of embodiment. And I wonder if it's perhaps something that because we're sort of fairly, you know, mostly fairly educated culture and society and sort of train that analytical mind quite a bit and, you know, use language a lot that actually it's a whole sort of realm of our experience that we haven't paid enough attention to, but it actually there's like a lot of well-being and a lot of meaning to be had just by skillfully doing that and looking after the body really well. That sort of thing of, well, physical health and mental health aren't necessarily so separate, you know? Very much. One other thing maybe is how important our context or our environment is to to our sense of our body. Could you talk a little bit about that? 
can you explain more what you're asking there? You mean interactions or physical environment or all of those things? If my body is a process, that's my language, or the interactions are important, it's like how important, and um, somehow, you know, pain or emotion of things that happen to me when my body isn't working, and it's like a problem inside of me, but often I'm saying, you know, well, you're more likely to be in pain if you're getting divorced, if you're worried about money, and if you've got a history of stress. Those things in the life, the world around you, are not just little effects on your experience of tightness in your psoas muscle. They're oh, in that way. How your body operates is deeply dependent on the interactions and context around you. Well, especially that that thing that the physical body will is is sort of. In a way, I think it's always trying, as a intelligence system, it's always trying to do the best for you. So by generating, like let's say someone's going through a difficult period in their life and then they're experiencing a lot of pain, which, you know, that's not true for all people that are experiencing pain, but it might be for some, that your body's sort of taking the load of that experience for you because for some reason your sense of yourself or your feeling experience doesn't believe or doesn't perceive as able to cope with that experience so in a way it's like well your body's trying to do you a favor by holding away certain kinds of experience which might be a realization about what you're going through or an intensity of feeling that you can't cope with but if you can let that out little by little then can reduce the need of your body to sort of take that load for you and I think that's in all kinds of ways that we just habitually hold our bodies and use our bodies to just cope with various situations but also I think in terms of interactional needs especially like once you're an adult people tend to tend to seek out the positions they recognize so if those whether or not those positions so styles of interaction and and their position within that interaction whether or not they're good for them they recognize that position and people just tend to seek that out over and over because they recognize it so that might get you in a situation where there's a lot of things happening that you don't like but you don't really know how you're creating it or how your choices are involved with it it's just what's occurring and I think that's just a natural part of human life but it's something we can again we can attend to and then try other things or notice when we get into new situations cool so the book aimed at what's your sort of intended audience for the book yeah so I'm hoping that people interested in the philosophy of consciousness will read it for which I think there's a it's quite a big audience for that at the moment, but also people interested in therapeutic work with the body might, or also, you know, people interested in other kinds of therapeutic work, like counsellors and psychologists who are interested in the role of the body in experience might also read it. So even though it doesn't deal directly with therapy or techniques, it's a theory that might resonate for some people or fill in some gaps for some people, particularly with that idea of a different worldview that helps us to understand feeling consciousness as natural phenomena. Where can people get hold of it, Karen? How do they find out more about you? So 
I have a website that's embodimentphilosophy.com and the book is available. It's called, as you said, it's called Taking Heart and Making Sense. It's available at all online, online bookstores. Fantastic. Hey, well, you'd like to close with sort of any kind of, I don't know, one takeaway from the book or this conversation? Ooh, ah, uh, just that. So it is a fairly abstract book. In some ways it's a bit dense, but I have been given feedback that it's got quite a bit of heart in it, which is kind of nice. But just that I've some of these I've written about some of these ideas because I've spent many years thinking about them and I find them really insightful and they're ideas from other people that I'm putting together and then adding to so I'm not necessarily just talking about my own ideas but some really beautiful ideas about the natural world that really capture some of that idea that we can systematically describe the natural world but there's this really deep mystery in the natural world and in our experience that is something that's beautiful and meaningful and yeah with that sort of we don't have to not have any of that in our to have really good explanations of the world and the phenomena that arise in the natural world like I feel like it's quite a understanding the natural world differently really can generate a kind of sense of wonder and connection to that this idea that oh wow we are living beings part of these incredibly long processes of evolution that mean that you know any an individual human being can exist at a particular time and have experience like it's just such a beautiful idea well i I find anyway so yeah hopefully i can convey something of that to people well i've I've been lucky enough to read i think about seven or eight chapters in early forms i'm looking forward to getting the book in in hard copy yeah i think really writing style and I think you, you have a lot of big ideas and your learning comes through and I, I, I find it very readable so uh, yeah good luck and really great talking to you this morning oh, great yeah thanks Steve really nice to talk to you too thanks for listening you can access all of Steve Haynes's podcasts on bodycollege.net forward slash podcasts there's lots of other resources on bodycollege.net check out the really strange books pain anxiety touch trauma Uh, a set of comic books that are easy and accessible guides to complex subjects. I also teach two-year training programs in cranial sacral therapy uh, based in Galway and based in London. All the details are on bodycollege.net. And finally, I teach TRE, Tension and Trauma Releasing Exercises. You can find out about shaking on trecollege.com. Feeling can be hard, but with skill and practice, it gets easier. Good luck finding safety in your body.